The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Morning. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. For those of you here in the room, and thanks everybody tuning in online. We're happy you're with us as well. Uh, Visitors, thanks for joining us, and I want to extend an invite to you. We've got a beginnings lunch happening right across the parking lot. If you can get over through the rain, right after this service, we've got a free lunch for you. If you're a visitor or you're kind of a new member or kind of just interested in checking out this church, we'll hope you'll come join us at the beginnings lunch today. Um, We'd love a chance to get to know you and get to chat with you and maybe let you hear a little bit about this church community here as well. Um, Happy to continue in our sermon series this morning, Following Jesus, and I was really grateful for the intentional prayer time that we had, and so I want to continue being intentional in prayer this morning, and as we get going on the sermon, I also want to lift up all of the the violence and fighting that we've heard about happening over in Israel and Palestine, I want to lift up to God and ask that he would bring peace on earth and that we would learn how to be agents of peace on this earth. So let's go to God in prayer together as we begin today. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning with uh, a world that is hurting and broken And God, we ask that uh, you would let your kingdom come and will be done on earth as in heaven. Bring your peace on earth. Lord, stop the fighting, stop the injustice, stop the violence, God, and let humanity live with one another in harmony. Jesus, help us to be peacemakers because you call us blessed. You call us children of God when we bring peace to the world. Help us to bring the peace of Christ in our words, in our actions, in our deeds, in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time of worship. And God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our text this morning is Mark 10, chapter, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says, They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then he sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. I still remember the first time I saw El Capitan. 
Laura and I were driving into Yosemite National Park a few years ago. And as you're driving in the valley floor, Lara took this picture. Uh, you come upon it, and there's this 3,000-foot granite wall rising into the sky, El Capitan. And it's an incredible sight to behold. It's a beautiful thing, especially to see in person. It's, it's just amazing and captivating, and I could just stand there and look and see it for days. But there is a, a universe of difference between just standing and seeing El Capitan and the people who, when they see El Capitan, have to climb it. Right? There's a, a universe of difference between standing on the valley floor, looking at it, admiring its beauty, and the people who, when they see it, they got to get on the wall. And that goes even more so for a guy named Alex Honnold. Maybe some of you have heard of Alex Honnold. When I think of the most, the greatest athletes in human history, alongside some of the other names that regularly come to mind, I now think of Alex Honnold because he is someone who not only climbed El Capitan, but is the only human being to climb it without a rope. If you've seen the Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo, it tells the story of him doing this almost four hours on the wall. Think of an Olympic gold medal activity that if you don't get the gold, you die. Absolute perfection demanded of him. Not a national championship, not a World Cup riding on his performance, his actual life and existence. And so there is in a universe of difference between me standing on the valley floor, seeing El Capitan, admiring its beauty, and Alex Honnold getting on the wall without a rope, actually climbing El Capitan. The Gospel of Mark is all about sight. It's so much about seeing to the demons, to the crowds, the Pharisees, to the reader, Mark is asking us, do you see Jesus? Can you see him? Who do you say that he is? Do you see who he is? But the Gospel of Mark is also about more than seeing. The Gospel of Mark is about following. It's not just about sight. Mark is about discipleship. And Mark tells us that when you really see Jesus, you'll see that he is asking you to follow him. You'll see that Jesus, the true Jesus, when you see him, is placing a call, not for you to just stand on the valley floor and admire what he looks like, but to actually get on the wall. But to actually put some skin in the game. To actually risk something following on the way. Seeing and following is at the heart of Mark, and that's at the heart of our story in chapter 10. So let's jump back into verse 46 together. It says that they came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. This is our second healing of a blind man in Mark. Remember, there's two of them in Mark, and we looked at one of them in Mark chapter 8 several weeks ago, and this morning we're in the second one. And if you'll remember that first one, the healing of the blind man, what was interesting about that? It happened in stages, 
right? Jesus touches him, and he says, can you see? Nah, it's kind of blurry. People look like trees. Touches him again, now he sees. And so here, we get to the end of this kind of transitional section in the middle of Mark. We have that one healing of a blind man, and then Jesus walks through this cycle that we've been talking about, where he tells his disciples a prediction of his passion, his suffering and death, They misunderstand and react negatively, and then Jesus teaches on discipleship. That cycle happens three times after that first healing of a blind man, and here we come to the second bookend. Here we come to the second healing of a blind man in Mark's gospel. So one of the things I want you to notice about this second one is where Bartimaeus is. This seems like kind of an insignificant detail, but I want you to notice it says that he's sitting by the roadside. Now, that Greek word for roadside can literally be translated as way. He's sitting by the way. He's alongside the way. And Mark is telling us something literal about this blind man sitting by a roadside, by a way. But remember, there's also deeper levels to Mark. Right? There's deeper levels, and what we should hear when we hear the word way is the exact same word that was used to describe the early church. You guys have read Acts, many of you. You've read the book of Acts. Again and again in Acts, Luke describes the church as the way. That's what the early Christian community was called. They weren't called Christianity right away. They were called the way. That's the movement of following Jesus was called the way. And so we see that in Acts chapter 9, for instance, when it says that Saul's breathing out murder against the disciples and that uh, if he found any who belonged to the way, that he might take them to Jerusalem. But there's another way that we should hear when we hear that Bartimaeus is by the way. Remember the way at the very beginning of Mark's gospel? Remember the first few verses that introduced the whole book? Remember the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in the prophet Isaiah, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The way is the early church. The way is the way of the Lord. Right? It's that straight-making path that Jesus is calling us to, that movement of God in the world. And notice that Bartimaeus, he's alongside it. He's not on it yet, as the story begins. He's not on the way. He's alongside it. That's going to change. Watch for that as we continue here in verse 47. It says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus began to shout out, and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. So here's Jesus passing by. And notice that Bartimaeus already seems to know a little bit about who Jesus is because he calls him son of David, That's another way of referring to Jesus as Messiah. That's kind of a less common way to to say that Jesus is the Messiah. So Bartimaeus, he's really an exemplary figure, and he's already leaps and bounds ahead of the apostles who took eight chapters to finally get to the fact that, hey, you're the Messiah, and we confess that. Bartimaeus already sees it. 
in a sense, right? He sees that Jesus is the son of David, King David. He's the Messiah. And then something amazing happens in verse 48. It says that many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is not afraid to get loud about Jesus. I love Bartimaeus. I think he's a great character. And I love that he can't be deterred. He's not inhibited. Right? He gets loud and people condemn him and rebuke him and he gets even louder. He's not afraid to make a scene about Jesus. And because he's such an exemplar for us, an example for us, I feel like we kind of have to ask the question of ourselves, are we afraid to get loud for Jesus? Are we afraid to to make a little noise about Jesus. I think sometimes we are. I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid to to be loud about Jesus. And sometimes I think that might be for good reason. You know, just being totally frank and honest, I, I think maybe some of us are hesitant to get loud about Jesus because when we look around us, sometimes we see that some of the people seeming to get loudest about Jesus are not giving him the greatest PR, right? Sometimes we look around and, and the people who seem to be loudest about Jesus are not seeming to represent him super well, right? When I see some of the slogans or the attitudes or banners or when I see some of the scandals and actions of people getting loud about Jesus, it makes me want to clam up, right? Some of the bullhorns through which I hear the name of Jesus shouted make me want to be a church mouse. I I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want Jesus to be a part of that. I think that might be legitimate. But I also don't think it's an excuse that can withstand scrutiny forever. I also don't think that we can excuse ourselves that way forever. For one thing, we have to know that the second we start speaking up about Jesus, we're going to be just as fallen witnesses to him as anybody, right? The second we try to make a little noise about Jesus, we're going to fail. We're going to be poor representatives. But it also just doesn't make sense logically, right? If, if there are people being loud about Jesus, giving him some poor PR, and we stay quiet, well, their voice is just going to be all the louder. Right? Their voice is just going to be the only one on the market about Jesus. Finally, I think some of us truly are a little hesitant to make some noise about Jesus because we're a little afraid. Maybe not for our lives or something, But I think we're afraid of what people might think. We're a little afraid of maybe the friendships that might get curtailed. We're uh, afraid of maybe a little bit of the power or paychecks that might be put in jeopardy if we cause a ruckus about Jesus. But Bartimaeus isn't afraid. Not only does he get loud about Jesus, 
but he gets rebuked, he gets sternly ordered to stop, and he gets even louder. He knows what he wants. He knows what he needs. And so Jesus responds to Bartimaeus in verse 49. It says, Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. There's that question, what do you want me to do for you? It's the very question Jesus asked in the story just prior, the story we heard last week. Remember Jesus asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? And they said, we want your right hand and your left hand in glory. We want the number one and the number two spots. We want power. We want greatness. He asked the same question to Bartimaeus. What do you want? But Bartimaeus doesn't want power. He doesn't want glory. He just wants to see. So Jesus says in verse 52, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And we see a lot of differences in this story between this blind man and the one in chapter 8. But I think one of the most striking is that word immediately. It happens right away. Instantly his sight is back. In chapter 8 it was stages. In chapter 8 it took time. It was gradual. But then, over the course of three chapters, Jesus walks the disciples through what he's doing. He starts to point the disciples, he starts to point the reader of Mark towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. He starts to slowly show us what it's actually going to mean to follow him. He starts to slowly show us what he's actually doing, who he actually is. He points us to his suffering and death on the cross. And then we see. And then it happens right away. We're pointed at the cross. We're pointed at suffering. We're pointed at discipleship. And instantly we can see. Because seeing and following the suffering of discipleship are very closely intertwined. And we see that all the more in what happens, right? Right after Bartimaeus gets the sight. What happens after that? It says that Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. He regained his sight and followed him on the way. There's that word again, the way. Bartimaeus was on the sidelines, and now he's in the game. Bartimaeus was alongside the way, now he's on the way. Now that he sees Jesus, he's following. He is on the way, the way of the Lord, the way, the church. Bartimaeus is a disciple now. 
because he's seen who Jesus really is and he has to follow. I really enjoyed last November when Patrick Mead came to share with us. Remember, he preached on a Sunday morning, but there was a story he told that really stood out to me earlier in the weekend. We got to spend a little time with him on Friday and Saturday, and he told a story about himself growing up in the church, and he grew up in a wing of the church that really taught this kind of narrow view of Jesus as just disapproving and and shaming and maybe just barely reluctantly willing to save someone broken like Patrick. And that view of Jesus really kind of pushed him out of the church and he became an agnostic for many years. Later on in life, he was he did some schooling and he was doing some work and he was in Scotland and he became ill. And Patrick went to bed for a week, ill, essentially. And when he was in bed for that week, a care package arrived from America and there were a couple of books in there about Jesus. A couple of books that he read in one go, books that gave him a different picture of Jesus, books that allowed him to see a different possible Jesus. But he still wasn't quite sure. He's like, this is beautiful and compelling, but is this really the Jesus to be seen? And so he decided to go back to the source material. He decided to go back to the well, and he came back to the Gospels. And for six months, for a half a year, he read the Gospels over and over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Six months. And at the end of six months, he, he turned to his wife and he said, I don't know if I believe it, but I tell you what, I would follow this guy to the gates of hell. I'd follow this guy anywhere. And six months after that, he was a believer again. And he decided, he made that lifelong decision to follow the Jesus that he had now seen. Because seeing and following are deeply intertwined. And when you really see Jesus... When you really see him, you'll see that he is placing a deep, deep call on your life to follow him. He's placing a deep, deep call on your life to stop living against the grain of the universe and to live with the grain of his life, to live with the grain of his suffering and death, to live in the power of his resurrection. Jesus, when you really see him, you realize you have to follow. And so the question for us this morning, church, is simply, what would it take to get you from seeing to following? What would it take to get you, to get us, from standing on the valley floor looking up at a beautiful wall to actually getting on the wall? What would it take to actually get us one more step down the way of following Jesus? 
What would it take to actually get us to get a little skin in the game? What would it take to actually get us to be loud about Jesus, to actually make a little noise on his behalf, to actually make a little noise on behalf of the least of these, to actually serve and give our lives the way he gave his? What would it take? I don't know exactly what it would take in your life. I don't know exactly what it take in mine or the life of this church, but I know for one thing, it will take a movement of the Holy Spirit. It will take the power of the Holy Spirit to lift us out of stagnation, to lift us out of wherever we're standing, to lift us out of challenges and into the challenging road of following Jesus. It will take a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so church, we stand this morning and we pray. Let's stand and pray that the Holy Spirit would come and move us from alongside the way to on the way. That the Holy Spirit would come and compel us to risk something, to give something, to really get some skin in the game following the beauty of Jesus that we have seen. Let's stand and praise him this morning, church.